Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. My name is Richard Diaz, and I'll be your host. What I hope to do is introduce you to some amazing athletes, luminaries from the sports science community, and as come to be expected, I'll also provide some highly opinionated rants on all aspects of endurance sport and my current favorite, obstacle course racing. So sit tight, grab a cup of coffee, and let's do this. Alright, so we're back again. It's almost Christmas, and I thought to get my wingman, my favorite lead hunting dog, Miguel Medina on the horn with us. and uh, Bird Dog Supreme. Bird Dog Supreme. I knew it was something. <laughs> <laughs> I always forget. I always forget. No worries. So it's those, it's the, all the Christmas cheer. Yeah, you know, the, the two things that have been kind of interesting is, is your tagline, uh, the bird dog supreme, and what was it that Mark Jones said about uh, the secret lab? He called it the death lair or something. The death, <laughs> the death lair. Yeah, he went somewhere along those lines. Man. Look, everyone's got a different idea, man. Yeah, well, it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. It's like the torture chamber right. is what it should be. Well, it's not really. I mean, you know, it's a place of learning. There you go. And then most most places of learning can be torture chains. You know, sometimes when you want to you want to train your dog, you got to give it a couple good licks, right? So There you go. Exactly. All right, so look, here's what I want to do today. And I I brought you on because I'm going to need your help to keep me focused, all right? All right. I want to talk about kind of a big subject. And it's a big subject to me, and I think that it should be a bigger subject to a lot of guys out there that are training. But the the thing that I find fascinating about training is there's just so much that most people don't understand in respect to training with heart rate and or how to manipulate their metabolic pathways. Now, someone might hear me say this right now and think, I'm going to hang up on this guy. This is this is not going where I want it to go today. I'm but I'm telling slide. you folks, you gotta listen to this because if I don't screw this up, you're gonna come away with, Whoa, I did not know that and boy am I glad I stuck around to listen to this. Now I got it out there, I promise you it's gonna be worth listening to. I wrote a piece a while back called Training the Dark Side. And for those studious listeners that have been with me for a while, have probably already downloaded that little bit and absorbed it and understand pretty much where this is going to head. But what I want to do is I want to talk about lactate tolerance training. And the reason I want to talk about it is because most people don't get it. They think lactic acid and they think, well, that's that burning sensation in my leg because I've got a lot of lactate there. And that's the soreness that I feel the following day. And I'm going to get on my foam roller and flush out that lactic acid. Or I'm going to have some body work done. I'm going to go see my favorite masseuse, and they're going to help me flush out the lactic acid from my muscles. And all these misnomers that people have been living with for a long, long, long time. What I'm hoping to do is dispel some of the myths and bring some creative thinking to the table here 
Because when you learn to effectively develop your anaerobic metabolism, it is the key to success in most racing events. Get me all worked up just I talking know. about it. You feeling it was, me? You feeling me yet? Uh, I'm getting all worked up just uh, all right. about it. So let's let's just put it out there. Early before we got on the show, Miguel, you told me, hey, you know, I've been keeping my heart rate below that threshold, like you told me, keeping aerobic, getting in that base work, and that's all great, by the way. As a matter of fact, it's necessary. It's not only necessary; it should be the majority of the things that you do. As I told you before we got on, I've been doing a ton of research, and I've been spending some quality time looking into some of the writings and preachings of Dr. Steven Seiler, who, for those that don't know who that cat is, he's an exercise scientist that's living in Norway right now, born and bred in Texas, but 17 years away and been living in Norway. And so you don't hear much from him. He's kind of back there lurking in the darkness, but... The guy's been doing a ton of research on the greatest performances of endurance athletes or in athletic sport, Olympians. It's fascinating when you look at the paradigms in the way most of the successful athletes train. There's some real common threads. And recently I had Matt Fitzgerald on, and Matt's pretty much a student of Seiler's as well. As a matter of fact, the teachings of Seiler were the basis of Matt's book called The 80-20 Formula. In an essence, what it was all about is that if you do the research, you'll find that some of the greatest athletes on the planet are commonly dedicating about 80% of their training to aerobic conditioning and about 20% to high-intensity training. And they, they avoid all that that is in between. You were going to say something? You're about to tell me that that's the wrong way to do it. No, I'm not. I'm not oh, going okay. to tell you that. But I'm going to tell you there's something missing. And I Sounds like it. Yeah. Well, it's an opinion, right? And I'm entitled. But I, I, I really believe there's something missing. And I've said it a lot. And you've heard me say it before. And I've said it and I'll say it now. There are basically three things you can do in training. One is develop your aerobic metabolic pathways, the presence of oxygen, burning fat. Teach your body to access fat stores for energy because you've got tons of it. The longer you can stay in your fat burning, the less you're going to be expending your precious sugar stores. Okay? You've heard me say that a million times. I did it this entire weekend. <laughs> and then the other end of it is developing your anaerobic pathways, which is the polar opposite energy system, which is reliant on sugar and equally important. Now, I'm, I'm being careful to choose my words because I'm going to deviate from that thought process a bit, and it's going to be important. So, again, if you guys are, like, listening, thinking, oh, no, he's getting a little complicated. I don't know if I like what he's talking about. I'm leaving right now. Don't do it. Hang out. I'm telling you, it's going to get better. You haven't heard this before. And the middle thing, the other thing is, and this is where I deviate from some of the other thoughts or thinkers, thoughters, whatever. Thinkers. Thinkers. <laughs> but, the point, <laughs> but, the, but the point is, is that 
motor skill development, mechanical aptitude. It is, it is absolutely the glue between those two energy systems. The more efficiently you're capable of moving through space, the lower the cost. And I've been using the, the, uh, the comment, you want to pay wholesale for retail items. <laughs> you don't want to pay retail. And no. by developing your motor skills, you make both energy systems an easier path. So here's where I'm going to deviate a little bit. Here's actually the focus of the whole conversation that I hope to put out here. Looking back at lactate, lactate development is part of our natural metabolic processes. We are developing lactate as you and I sit where we are at this very moment. So it's normal function. Lactic acid is really not different than lactate. It, the acidic nature of the lactate is not even lactate at all. The acidic nature of the production of lactate comes from potassium and hydrogen ions. Okay, Lactate in itself gets a bad rap for being poison in the muscle. It is not. It's actually another pathway to energy development. And you look back at some of the guys that have been doing the research and doing the study, guys like George Brooks, who's at the University of Berkeley. He says that training actually teaches muscle cells how to use lactate as a fuel to get more bang for your buck. I'm quoting him now. With training, mitochondria grow, take in more lactate via the shuttle, and burn it to generate more energy. Boy, I can't read very well, can I? You're doing fine. Just keep okay, going. so you've heard me talk about this. You might not recall it, but I've talked about the lactate shuttle system. And essentially yeah. what happens is when you start to develop work, and let's just for the sake of simplicity talk about running because this is the natural running network. True that. When you start to run hard, you start to produce lactate, a lot of lactate within the regional muscles. And this lactate, if it's not processed properly, the more lactate you bring in, the more hydrogen that, that hitchhikes along with it, and it starts to become an irritant in the, the muscle and the nerve right. endings. And what ends it feels up, like your legs weigh a ton. Not only does it do that, but it actually will cause the muscles to stop functioning. And it's, I, thought, I found it really interesting that what they did is they did experiments with dead frogs. So it says here that in the early 20th century, physiologists stimulated isolated frog muscles to contract until exhaustion. They found that the tissues had accumulated high amounts of lactic acid. Since then, the idea that lactic acid accumulation causes muscle fatigue it has persisted. So in other words, from these dead frogs, we assume that lactic acid causes rigor, and that's essentially what shuts muscle down. So lactic acid's a bad thing. And then yeah. we were constantly find ways to try to flush this lactic acid from the muscles. And so this has kind of been the bad rap that lactic acid has gathered over the years. And what we're finding is that 
First of all, lactic acid is the result of the glycolytic energy production system. So glycolytic means sugar, which is yeah. absence of oxygen. So anaerobic metabolism is the glycolytic energy pathways, okay? Okay. But it's an energy source that can be used in muscle cells of its origin. So in other words, where it came from, it could actually end up being usable fuel once again, the lactate. It's actually the preferred energy for the heart and the brain. Lactate is. Correct. What happens is it gets processed by the liver, it's made into glucose, and punches back into the bloodstream and feeds active muscle and functionality. So in other words, your brain depends on lactate as a fuel source. And your liver loves to turn lactate into glucose and eventually will punch that glucose back into your muscles, becoming glycogen, and ultimately end up being usable energy. And it can actually end up being 30% of the energy demands that you have relative to what you have from your glycogen or carbohydrate stores in the body. Like to you, so you're saying like the, the process of, of that lactate being turned back into glucose, it takes 30% of our energy, or you're saying that that it creates, is 30% it of creates our energy? About, so right. here's what ends up happening. Let's, let's start, start from the beginning. We were talking about a runner going down the road and going hard. And then now he's starting to feel the acidic effects of this ensuing lactate production within the muscles. Yes. And if he continues to push at that rate, eventually he'll need to slow down or stop because he's becoming so toxic with this ensuing lactate production that it becomes just untenable. It's going to shut him down. Now, the, the notion that lactate was, in fact, the culprit behind this demise is incorrect. Okay. What it turns out being is that with the ensuing production of lactate comes about the ensuing hitchhiking production of hydrogen. And hydrogen is an irritant on nerve endings and muscle fibers. It tends to shut you down. But when you train properly, which is where we're going with all of this, When you train properly, you teach your body to take that production of lactate, relocate it via the lactate shuttle system to push it into your liver and or to push it in regions of your body that are not working and reside there until later days where it will process this lactate into glucose through your liver and shove it back into the working muscles as an auxiliary energy source. Okay. So this happens only when you properly approach training in such a way that you're teaching your body to solve this problem of acidic effect in the muscles. In other words, if, for example, your approach to interval training, because interval training is essentially the the solution to this problem, by the way. If your approach to interval training is to Let's just say we're going to do a two-to-one effort. So two times recovery, one time work. But during yeah. that one time work, and let's, let's call it five and ten minutes, okay? So ten okay. minutes recovery, five minutes work. During that okay. five minutes worth of effort, you punch your heart rate up to such a point that the production of lactate 
exceeds your ability to clear it, you don't learn anything from that effort. It shuts you down. Yeah. And if you continually do that, you'll find the wall every time. It'll shut you down, shut you down, shut you down. So you don't learn anything from it. You're not doing a good job of reconstituting this, this lactate into a usable fuel. You're just getting yourself into all sorts of trouble. Okay. In theory, you're doing more harm than good. You're hoping to create an ability to tolerate this lactic acid, but in fact what it's doing is it's taking you out and you're just finding out that you could not win that battle. Yeah. So what I'm getting at is there's a process in where if you take on lactate in small doses and progressively increase the dose over time, your body starts to adopt a process in where it learns to shuttle this lactate out of the working muscle, causing it to be less acidic, allowing you to continue to work and relocate this lactate into regions of the body that eventually will be developed as a usable fuel source rather than respirating it, blowing it out in the form of carbon dioxide and or having it just take you out. Okay. So you're saying, so, so like, I mean, for example, if I'm, if I'm doing like hill repeats, which is the perfect, the perfect opportunity to build up tons of lactate. I mean, it would be, it would be doing like my hundred meter climb or my minute straight of climbing. And then I would be taking two minutes to recover, like two minutes to get down to the bottom of the hill. Right. Regardless of whether it be going up a hill. Yeah. Running on flat terrain. That's hypothetical. Well, the point I'm trying to get at it, it's a function of the effort and it's a function of what your lactate threshold is. Yeah. All right. What's really kind of intriguing about all of this is that this concept of lactate turn point, onset of blood lactate, anaerobic threshold, all these terms that people throw around are kind of ambiguous to some degree because it varies from person to person. So in a traditional setting, what has been accepted as rule of thumb is that when your blood lactate levels reach four millimoles, you have reached your lactate threshold. Traditionally, that's what we believe. But in fact, some people are more sensitive to the ensuing production of lactate than others. In some cases, you may in fact become too acidic for your ability to continue to work at two millimoles. And some people yeah. may be as high as six millimoles. For, for those that are not keen on this whole bloodletting process, what I do and what I like to do is look at anaerobic threshold relative to respiratory quotient. Carbon dioxide markers, which are what I look at when I test people, are a strong indication of the resident lactate in, in the system. And it also gives us a really good look at the percentage of fat versus sugar being used. And then realize that when you go into your glycolytic pathway, when you're over your threshold, when you're getting to this place where your sugar is a predominant energy source, lactate is there with it. And lactate is going to assist in the production of fuel. That happens for different people at different times. And I guess where I'm going with this, if you just ram yourself up a hill and you're going off hard because you're going into the work phase of the workout 
and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to hit it. I'm going to go hard. And let's just say, for example, you take yourself up to 90% of your maximum heart rate. Okay. Okay. But your threshold was 65 or 70% of your maximum heart rate. As far as the 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 the, the fuel, as far as it well, let's just talk about percentage of maximum heart rate for a second, and let's okay. just look at where okay. where the threshold lies. So, for example, in your case, let's say that you're at 70% of max is kind of where your threshold sits. Mm-hmm. because we're using heart rate as basically a marker of where this, this point in the road is, and you go as far as 90%, that extra 20% over threshold may be too intense, and the onslaught of lactate in the working muscles is so great that you're not learning to solve the problem. Where, in fact, if you were to go like 5% over that threshold, the production is tenable. Your body's learning to... You know, it's like I'm throwing you books and I want you to put them on shelves. Okay. And if I throw them at you kind of quick and you're catching them and you're putting them on the shelves, you're doing a nice job organizing the shelves. Yeah. But if I got three people throwing books at you, all you get, all you got (laughs) is you're getting pummeled by books. It's a pile of books. So what you're learning from that exercise is that you can't take too many books tossed at you at the same time. No, no, no. Now, that might be the most ridiculous analogy I've ever used in my life. But But it it, makes sense. But it really is kind of an organizational situation, all right? You catch two books at a time, not three. Well, and you know what? If you catch two books at a time for a while, maybe you can catch three. And then maybe eventually you find a way to catch four. And if you catch four books instead of two, You've increased your capacity by a hundred percent. Wow. Are you feeling me now? I'm getting it. What I'm suggesting to you is that lactate tolerance is most effective if you take it on in doses. Not just go hog wild and go way over and think what a great workout that was, because the focus of your efforts should be to develop your pathways, to develop not only your aerobic potential, but your anaerobic potential. Because where it would seem that when you get into this precious sugar store, that it's it's not something you're able to sustain, you can actually train that system to take on auxiliary energy from lactate, and it's very sustainable. You could You could hang on to the work for greater lengths of time. So let me try to put this into terms that make a little bit more sense than all this gobbledygook I've been tossing around. Yeah. And, and I have a question when, Go, when, whenever it. I can throw that. Well, earlier you were talking about the fact, so um, the lactate serves as, you know, the lactate with the glucose serves as 30% of our, of our available energy that we have. And, and then you mentioned that like days later it would be available, like as far as it being recruited or being used by different muscle groups. So like, how do we get to the point where I'm using that lactate, like during a race, you know, no, or, well, like, well, excuse or me, am I already using when, it? When I use that ridiculous term later days, I meant like in, in, in a half an hour. Okay. Oh, okay. So right, for right, example, right. and there's been a tremendous amount of research in triathlon training. Because Ironman is really a bear. If you're going to be competitive at Ironman distances, you're going to go hard. And you're going to go hard for, if you hope to win, you're going to have to be able to go hard for eight, eight and a half, nine hours. Okay? Now, 
If you look at it and realize that fat utilization is only going to occur in the presence of oxygen, yeah. meaning that you're aerobic, yeah. and realizing that when you get out on that bike and you're trying to turn out 112 miles in about four and a half to five hours, you're not aerobic. You're not going to be aerobic. <laughs> and if you're going to be out there for five hours in extreme heat like they do in Kona, trust me when I tell you, your heart rate response, everything is going through the roof. So the only way you're going to be able to successfully achieve that end is you're going to have to develop some auxiliary energy sources. And the only place left is going to be from lactate. Okay. Realize that you can't feed often enough and absorb the energy well enough to put that energy to work for yourself. Yeah. And you're going to need something else. And because you're not accessing fat stores anymore, what else is there to do? You're going to, you're going to blow your sugar stores out quickly unless you're able to, uh, I want to say replicate, but let's just, I think a better word would be reinforce that sugar store with lactate production and the lactate production being converted back to uh, usable okay. energy source, glucose, and then eventually glycogen. That is the saving grace. And this is why these guys are capable of doing this. And the way to do it is when you start going over threshold and you do it in reasonable doses, I guess is a better way to express it, you, you, what ends up happening is you develop mitochondria stores. And mitochondria stores in the muscle is where this lactate is going to be processed. The more mitochondria you have, the more glycogen or glucose you're going to be able to develop. So there lies the rub. It's number one, lactate is actually a very powerful fuel source. It's not the enemy. It's not the reason why you're burning. It's not something that you're going to feel a day later, like a lot of people used to believe. It is actually a usable fuel source. It's just that it has a tendency to carry along some some culprits that are uh, irritants to the musculature. And hydrogen ion. The hydrogen ions. How are we doing so far? Have I screwed you We're up? Good. Yet? No, I'm. No, no, no. I'm. I'm. Look, man. I'm. I'm taking notes. <laughs> All right. So let's let's let's. I'm kind getting of, schooled, man. <laughs> okay. So look, a couple things that I want to bring to light. First of all. Uh, I alluded to the work of Steven Seiler. And what he did is he looks back at some of the greatest athletic achievements in the world. And you know what's really interesting is that the Europeans, by the way, do a better job of taking notes of their efforts and, and looking into what they're capable of doing and not doing. And they take very, very studious journals in, in response to their training. And so there's been a lot of ability to research these athletes. And I'm looking at some really cool stuff. And what's really interesting about all of it is that the level of intensities that these guys take on, the majority of what they do is very low-intensity effort with a sprinkling of high-intensity work. And it works out to be in a ratio of about 80-20. About 75 to 80% of the training that these guys do, and I'm talking about cross-country skiers, rowers, skaters, cross-country runners, just across the gamut and looking at data from all of the research they, they conducted on all of these guys, and what they're finding 
is a commonality in the volume of low-intensity work that they do relative to the high-intensity work that they do. And what's really interesting about it is that there's very little conducted in this muddy area, which is like right at threshold. So let's, let's put this into context for a second. Let's just use a hypothetical scenario. Let's just say that your threshold, and again, I want to be careful how I express this because it gets confusing for people. You could call it a lactate threshold if you want to. You can call it an anaerobic threshold if you want to. You could cause, call it your metabolic turn point. But at the end of the day, there's this point in the road where your body starts shifting away from utilization of fat and greater amounts of sugar and the development of lactate. Yeah. And so let's call that point in the road for you right now, let's call it 150 beats per minute. Okay. So, so that's we, where I'm going from, you're, from you're now burning starting, more fat to burning more sugar. That's correct. You are now getting deep into your sugar stores, and the onslaught of the lactate in the working muscles is getting untenable. Eventually, it's going to start to take you out if you don't react. All right? And incidentally, they've done uh, some time trial results behind this, and they find that this turn point is typically marked by a 60-minute effort. So if you were to go out and run hard, hard as you can, for an hour, your average heart rate for that length of time is pretty darn close to what would be your threshold. Anything above that particular effort is unsustainable. You'll start to shut down in a matter of seconds. If you go lower, you'll go longer. If you stay there, you should be able to hang out for about an hour. They found this reproducible often. But going back to this 150 beats per minute, let's assume that this is that spot, all right? Yeah. And we're going to do an interval workout. The intervals should be conducted where you straddle this line, where maybe you dip down in recovery to about 140 beats per minute, and take yourself up, say, to 160 beats per minute. Now, let's also suggest that your maximum heart rate might be 190 beats per minute. We're only going to 160. Now, in a short duration effort, you could probably punch up to maybe 175 beats per minute and be able to get away with it. But the difference from going in a little easier and not going hog wild over your threshold is that you'll start to teach your body to conduct itself, to find ways to put those books on the shelf as opposed to throwing the books all over the floor. Now, the reason I bring this to you is because a lot of people will tend to either overdo or underdo their efforts and in the course of doing that, miss the opportunity, miss that window missed that world-class effort. And so when you look at the training that these athletes have done and the research they've conducted over these athletes, they found that these guys, when they go low intensity, they tend to be very low intensity efforts. And they do this often. They do this 75, 80% of the time. And the amount of time they spend above threshold works out to be less than 30% of the time. And it's generally conducted in, in some interval fashion. So from a metabolic perspective, 
and I want to be clear how I say this, because there's this metabolic perspective, and what I alluded to early on was this mechanical threshold, this point yeah. where you become out of control and you're no longer managing the way you move and it's becoming expensive. So, yeah. for example, if I was to have you run at your threshold, let's call it 150 again, mm-hmm. and I said I want you to run at 150 beats per minute for three hours. After an hour, you might start losing your ability to sustain good running mechanics. Yeah. You may end up slowing down even though your heart rate has not changed because you're becoming less efficient. Yeah. You with me? Which totally does happen. I've, I've, I've literally, I've seen that happen. I've, I've, I've felt that happen before in some workouts or like at a race or something like that, where I'm like, how the hell is my heart rate this high? If I'm like hiking, you know? (laughs) Well, there may, there may be other issues at play. I mean, you could be overheated, you could be dehydrated. There's so many things that can come into play that could cause that to occur. But a lot of those things are less likely to occur early if you manage to keep your ship in order. Yeah. So it's really important that you, you manage the way you move because it becomes a complement to both aspects of your training. So whether you're being in an anaerobic state or whether you're being in an aerobic state or even whether you're doing intervals, the mechanical aptitude is the glue that holds those two metabolic pathways together. You know, and I, I realize, in, uh, I'm going to apologize for the fact that I've been all over the map with this. I should have organized my thoughts a little cleaner. But at the end of the day, here's what I'm trying to get across, is that lactate tolerance training is the key to performance. It is what is going to be the difference between success or failure in most events. And a lot of people don't realize that. Now, you can, as you suggested, spend a lot of time training aerobically, which is appropriate. But in the absence of getting in the appropriate type of interval-based lactate tolerance training, you're going to be very hard-pressed to create and sustain race pace. And I'm talking about race paces that are going to win races. You follow me? Because I follow you. There obviously is some argument for the value of becoming more aerobic and being more aerobic, you push off the potential of being anaerobic further down the road. So in other words, if we know that going beyond 150 beats per minute for you is starting to cause trouble for you, it's no longer becoming sustainable to maybe for an hour and a half. With proper training, with the proper aerobic training, you may be able to put on either greater pace or sustain that heart rate for a greater length of time. And that's generally going to be tied to the value of being aerobic for great lengths of time, which is metabolic adaptations, creating more mitochondria stores, red blood cells, capillary density in the muscle cells, things like this. But at the other end of the day, it's it's got to do with mechanical efficiency. If you're lowering the cost of work commonly, then you're putting less stress on the body and you can support the work for a greater length of time. But in itself, it's generally not going to be enough to win races. You've got to put together the speed. You've got to put together the efforts that are above threshold, and you have to learn to contend with the, the issues that are associated with that pace. Does that make sense? Yes. 
So in other words, if you were to train all the time aerobically, and let's just say that aerobic heart rate that you're following yields a nine-minute mile, and you know that in order for you to win a race, that you got to be sub seven. I'm just throwing numbers out here, okay? Yeah, yeah. You're That's running better. nines all the time, and you know you got to put together a sub seven in order or, or to win the race. That sub seven is just not going to manifest itself. You've got no, to teach no. yourself to be under that kind of stress. And under that kind of stress, you're going to produce a lot of lactate. In the absence of learning to contend with that lactate, it's going to shut you down. This is why we go to tracks. Well, <laughs> this is why we do this is why we put in our, our interval efforts and, and why we're you know, like for example for me it's like I'm I'm doing four hundred or eight hundred or a thousand meter repeats or something like that. I'm running it at that at like that VO two development pace or what have you. I don't know if that even makes sense, but it's based on this little app that I use. But Well look, so again, there's a lot of conjecture out there. And VO two pace to me, is like a maximum effort. Yeah. And the value of doing this is appropriate. But yeah. it's something that you don't want to do too often. Yeah. Because the payback well, for it is is difficult. If it disrupts definitely. your weekly training, it wasn't of any value to you. Yeah. Well, and that's why, and, and that goes back also to like the point of heart rate, because it's like if I'm doing like at this VO2 max development pace, my heart rate is like 165 and I have, you know, uh, recovery, so to speak, is is in, in my case, it might be something like 50 walking lunges or something like that. My heart rate by the time I'm done with those 50 walking lunges is going to get down to 120 to 130 beats per minute. And then I'm back at it repeating that, you know, that 400 at a 70 second or something like that. And my heart rate is going right to that same point. So, I mean, am I, is that doing the right thing then? I mean, cause aren't I, I'm straddling that line at that point. Well, I guess not in this hypothetical sense, but hypothetically, let's say I'm at that 150 to 151, I'm straddling that that line between being aerobic or anaerobic. I'm sorry, give me the lower number again. As far as the, you the recovery? You straddling, so yeah. No, I'm straddling. Well, because remember, we were going off of that. I gave you my numbers, and I was just actually going back to your to your hypothetical number. We said 150 was that point where we go from uh, being aerobic to being anaerobic, or where you know our, our, our fuel source goes from mostly fat to majority sugar, you know? So it's like, for me, it's like, if I'm doing that, if I'm doing my 400 meter repeats during that 400, I want to be at that line, right? I want to be like, you know, 150 to like 152 or something. And then I get, and then I recover and I keep repeating and I keep straddling that no, line, but no, I try no, not to exceed no, it. No, 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 That's exactly what you don't want to do. Fucking A. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I'm sorry, but it's exactly what you don't want to do. And that's, by the way, okay. that's very traditional. And that's what a lot of guys do. Okay. Because what you've right. done is you've gone do right, you've gone right to the line and spent a 400 meter effort at that line. You would be better better put to do a 200, 10 beats over that line, okay. and, and recover 10, 20 beats below that line. Okay. Because when you're like sitting on the line, you're not quite getting the value of the low intensity effort. You're not quite getting the value of a high-intensity effort. You're kind of in the mud. You're in this gray area. And incidentally, I'm so glad that you brought this up. You don't realize that it was an important thing to tell us. Okay. Because this is where I find most people. 
When I find someone that comes to me to be tested, we find that, first of all, they train intuitively how their body feels best to them. And they can sustain that right-on-the-line effort for generally about an hour, upwards of 75 minutes without a problem. They can actually go home and feel pretty good about themselves, feel like they got a pretty good workout. But they haven't really done anything that was going to give them a decent aerobic treatment, and they haven't really done anything that was give them a, a decent anaerobic workout. They're kind of stuck in the mud. Now, if you're to do that habitually, which, again, most people do, you'll get to a place where you maintain your fitness pretty well. Now, realize your fitness and the way your body uses energy are two different things. Yeah. Fitness is about stress, how much stress you take on and how well you allow your body to recover from it. And if you habitually go out there and push on yourself for a while, then recover. You go home, you go through your day, you're actually recovering, and you're putting on about an hour worth of exercise every day, you're getting a pretty good fitness workout. But if you're trying to encourage improvements in your aerobic potential, that's not going to do it. And if you're trying to improve your ability to support work above your threshold, that's not going to do it. You're kind of in the mud. But okay. I, but you, I'm glad, again, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because this is very common among most yeah. of the people I meet. They tend to go to this very quasi-comfortable state and throw down for about an hour. Now, yeah. if you were to go and say, look, uh, we need you to get better result from your workout, so instead of doing that workout for an hour, I want you to do it for two and a half hours. What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> the wheels will fall off. So the wheels are either going to fall off the bus or they're going to intuitively slow down so that they're capable yeah. of doing the work. So that they can finish it. Right. Yeah. It's like what we do for World Stuff is Mudder. Like there's no way that you're going to run your 10K pace for World Stuff is Mudder. You're going to slow down intuitively. Well, it's because you're not training properly. <laughs> I want to see you hold a five-minute pace at the world's toughest mutter. Good luck. You would you would be the world's toughest mutter, no question about it. Good luck. Yeah. No, but so look, I just want to make sure that through all this gobbledygook I'm tossing out here, that some some points are starting to stick. And yeah. Well, no. Okay. So now, how that now that we 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 determined that. You don't want to exactly be gliding that line, but maybe be like five or ten beats above that line. Like you said, if it's if it's kind of more along the lines of like intervals or in this case, like if we're doing MSDs and stuff like that and we get on that track. And so for that MSD, we're working at up to like, let's say, 10 beats above what that threshold is, maintaining good hold, hold, body okay, hold, mechanics. Hold up. Hold up. All right. All right. So, again, we're clearing up some confusion here. All right. So there's three things we can, there's three things we can do, okay? All right. Let's go back to that. If you always go back to that, you're always going to be safe. You're either you're setting out today to either do an aerobic workout. And that okay. aerobic workout, again, going back to the fact that your threshold is about 150 beats per minute, let's just say safely, uh, 130 to 140, 135, 140, somewhere like that is a is a pretty conservative yet functional aerobic treatment. Yes. And the longer you can get out there and do that for, the more value you're going to get from it. Yes. And if you Got were to that. put that together about 80% of the time, 70 to 80% of the time, 
you're making gains. You're making gains. You're going to make yeah. aerobic potential gains. You're bathing yes. your body in oxygen, and the payback for having done so is your body will start to develop more blood flow. You're going to get the end product of your vascularity is the capillary density within the muscle structures. So these little roots are starting to proliferate in the muscle, and you're having more places to put blood. And because you have more places to put blood, you're now putting in more oxygen to those muscles. You're developing more red blood cells. And the mitochondria, which is like the Pac-Man of, of fat-burning enzymes, are being developed. That yes. all happens when you're in this aerobic environment. Okay? Good. And then, good. That's what I've been doing. Now, the motor, that's what, the that's motor, what our athletes have been doing. Okay. The motor skill drills yes. are not about training your metabolism. So yeah. the only time you concern yourself with heart rate is to use it as a governor for recovery. The idea is to not allow perception to get in the way of better judgment. And your heart rate's going to dictate that you're ready to go or you need to wait a little longer. Yeah. But your targets when you're doing motor skill drills, and for those who don't don't know what this means, motor skill drills are about finding your peak velocity minus error. So you're not making any mistakes on your way up to speed. That means you're no longer overstriding. That means that your cadence is on point. You're not making a lot of brutal mistakes with the way you move. But if you keep going faster and faster, eventually you're going to you're going to feel the wheels coming off the bus. Yeah. And, and right about the time when you identify that you're starting to make a mistake, you back off. And you back off until your heart rate is recovered. And in most cases, in the case of this scenario, I would say it's probably going to be about 125, 130 beats per minute for you, given the yeah. scenario of 150 beats per minute being threshold. Yes. So when your heart rate gets down to that number, it's a pretty, Go again. It's a pretty good indication you're fresh enough to produce good work again. Yes. And the reason I don't rely on perception, because you may feel in the first repetition that you feel pretty good and you want to go again, and your heart rate may have already only come back down to, say, 150. And you might have topped out at 190 if you were looking at it. But it isn't about the top-end heart rate, because if you're going to peak velocity, you're going to touch it and get off of it. So the length of time that you're at that intensity is so so marginal that it doesn't even play into uh, a metabolic equation. So in other words, if you're to really look at it, the time going up to speed, the time coming off the speed, and the time recovering is putting you at about 80% aerobic opposed to the anaerobic component of that particular effort. Are you with me? Yeah. Yes, and that's because of recovery. That's because of recovery and the path on the way up and the path on the way down. Yeah. So there's little peaks and valleys in the repetitions that you create over time. Now, lactate tolerance training, on the other hand, is guarded by heart rate on the upper and lower limits. And when I say straddles, we're, we're talking about your threshold being at about 150 beats per minute. I would want you to travel above that line to a place where it's reasonably accepted, meaning that you're able to, again, going back to the analogy of stocking the books, you're able mm -hmm. to effectively arrange those books. You're able to 
take some of that lactate, shove it off into parts of the body that need to hold on to it until you need it a little later on, and then whatever's left that you can't effectively arrange or relocate, you're going to blow it off in the form of carbon dioxide through respiration. But you want to hang on to some of that lactate because that's going to turn around and become fuel for you uh, in the later minutes, hours of an event, not the following two weeks or two days. Like we were talking yeah. about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Let, okay. let's just say that let's just say that in the course of developing this lactate and putting it into the lactate shuttle system and shoving it off to other parts of your body, as opposed to just completely blowing through all your sugar, you're hanging on to a fuel source and developing a fuel source that may represent 30, 40% of what your storage was to begin with and able to get access to it and use it. So that adds time to your clock before fatigue. And so with that, so no, I'm, I'm, I'm processing it. I mean, I'm thinking, so like for me, like, or for, for this hypothetical situation, I mean, if we're, if LT, if, if for lactate tolerance training, it's like, I want to be, I want to be running around like, you know, one one fifty five to one seventy five or something like that. But I want to stay away from that maximum heart rate, and then I still want to give myself time to recover, though. Well, look, look. So staying away from the maximum heart rate would only suggest that if you get way up there like that, that the the development of lactate in the regional muscles is going to be so great that you're going to suffer. You're, you're yes. not going to be able to contend with it. You're not going to be able to to handle it. You're not going to be able to stock those books. Yeah, and, you'll be you'll be screwed. <laughs> Well, you're just getting, you're taking a beating, you know, you're, yeah. just, you're just taking a beating over and over again. And quite frankly, what ends up happening with all this lactate and all this acidic nature in the muscles, you're just doing damage because you're not prepared for it. You need to be able to relocate this lactate and you need to relocate these waste products, these hydrogen ions and the potassium and all this stuff that is creating all this other havoc. Yeah. So, so, so that, so ahead, if you're not able to organize the work, you're just being exposed to the dangers of too much intensity. And that's why we have to work at work up to it. Let's take it a step further. You're talking about guys that are supplementing protein. Yeah. And they tell you, well, you know, you did these workouts and you broke down a lot of muscle tissue, so you take the protein to supplement the damage you created for yourself. Well, the last thing you really want to do is create unnecessary damage to the muscle cells. I mean, clearly, uh, I could see the rationale for taking a protein supplement post-workout. Yeah, but, need it. But I would suggest to you that uh, let's, not, let's not dig too deep a hole. You know, let's recover quicker. Let's get back in game. Let's, yeah, develop, let's develop progressive benefits. So let's take it a step further. We're talking about ratios. We're talking about two to one. Then let's talk about, let's, let's step back. So let's take the numbers again. Okay. Let's call your threshold 150. Let's okay. call phase one of your interval training 145 recovery and 160 as the high end. And we're going to do three to one. So three times at 145, one time at 160. So, and I'm saying time because it's, it's kind of ambiguous. It could be yeah. three minutes, one minute, or it could be six yeah, yeah, minutes, yeah. whatever. So, yeah. but initially the intensity that you take on the top and the recovery you take on the bottom is relegated to that timeline. Mm -hmm. All right. 
And let's say that you do that 20% of your training volume in a week. If you were doing 10 hours worth of training in the week, eight hours would be dedicated to base work, and two hours would be dedicated to this lactate tolerance training. Okay? Okay. Yes. And did I, did I say two? Did I say six? I'm sorry. I meant six hours would be aerobic. Yeah. Two hours. Six hours aerobic. Two hours would be doing this. Motor skills. And yeah. two hours would be doing lactate tolerance training. All right? So okay. it would be 20% MSD, 20% lactate tolerance training, 60% aerobic. Bingo. And then that goes pretty well for a couple weeks. You're starting to feel it. You're starting to notice things are changing. And incidentally, you might do a time trial just to check your work, just make sure everything's going well, right? Yeah. And you find out, lo and behold, at an aerobic time trial, your pace is improved by, say, a minute per mile. And you're feeling just good as you can be, right? So what yeah. we do now is we're going to assume that we're getting better at this processing of the lactate, and we're going to shove up on that top-end heart rate a little bit. Yeah. Let's push it up to 170. Let's shorten the time exposure and maybe lengthen the time at the bottom. Or you could do a couple things. There's so many ways you could skin this cat. But the, the concept is to gradually expose yourself to the, to the effort or the, the acidic nature and teach your body how to contend with it. So you could be, like if we're still on the three-to-one three ratio, you could either increase the heart rate at the top and stay at the same timeline, or extend so like the, bump it up to like 170 or something right. like that. Or you could extend the timeline that you're exposed to the work. So if you were like at one minute above threshold, go two minutes above threshold and keep the recovery at three. Right? Yeah. Or, or maybe even go three to three eventually. So three minutes above, uh, below threshold, three minutes above threshold. Same heart rate. So that might even be a, a smarter way to approach it. You might go like three to one. Then three, three to two, three to two, right? And then, and then three to three. Yeah, three to three, or one to one ratio, right? Yeah. Well. Same thing. So three minutes, three yeah, minutes, yeah. or whatever. <laughs> but the point being, uh, but the point being is that you're extending the amount of time that you're exposed to this lactate, but the lactate is not improving. You're not taking on greater amounts of it. You've, you're no. accustomed to it. You're just not accustomed to be exposed to it that long. And in so yeah. doing, what happens is your body starts finding a solution to the problem, and you get better at it. And then what you might... Yeah, yeah. The same for right. all this, too. Right. And then the next move might be to increase the heart rate, take on more lactate, and shorten up the amount of time you're exposed to it, and then start extending the amount of time you're exposed to it. And then what happens is if you're periodizing this work over time, you'll start to get better and better at better at sustaining paces that are producing a, a, a ton of lactate, but you're getting a lot better at organizing your books. And in the course of being better at organizing those books, you're storing more lactate for potential fuel that's going to pay you back and be your friend. Wow. I'm being quiet because I'm waiting for you to respond. No, I'm 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 uh, I'm processing it. I mean, it it okay. sounds so it let, sounds pretty pretty bitchin' to say the least. I mean, because I'm just kind of picturing it. Okay, and, so let and, me say it one more time. Let's this just, is, 
Well, and this is the first time I'm ever hearing like the fact that someone's like, yeah, the rest doesn't go down. Like it's just, you're just going to increase the amount of work that you're putting relative to that rest. And that's, that's, well, you could, you could extend the rest time, but you realize that when you you extend the rest time, you're clearing the lactate and the more, which is what we, what we kind of don't want to do. That's exactly right. What you're trying to do is, and I, I know you heard me say this before. I look at lactate tolerance training like getting a flu shot. Yeah. It's an inoculation. It's a little bit of the virus so that your body learns to develop the antibodies to, to contend with the virus in the event that it comes on. And you don't give the guy the flu to try to protect him from the flu. <laughs> right? So giving the guy the flu would be analogous of someone going out and you know doing intervals at near maximum effort and trying to support the work at this really high intensity, assuming that that's going to improve their lactate tolerance because it's yeah. just not going to be a very effective approach. Now, getting up into those high intensities briefly are going to be very much in keeping with improving your myocardium strength, which is going to give you that VO2 max. Yeah. That's a different animal altogether. But i got to tell you, if you go back and look at some of the training of some of these great athletes, they don't do hardly any of that kind of work. No, it's just they're 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 doing like it's like that eighty twenty, you know, going right. back to the traditional model. Right, right. But so again, where I found the hiccup in that process was there's no conversation about motor skill development, because the motor skill development is what's going to set you free. And yeah. I talked about this the other day, and I don't recall whether you were in the room or not, but I tested a fella that was apparently fit. And his threshold was low, and he shut down very, very quickly in the course of the test, meaning that whether it was the intensity or the lactic acid buildup, he just had to shut down early so his VO2 score sucked. Yeah, I remember. But I, I suggested to him, and I still believe to be true, that the problem was not that he was weak of heart or had a poor cardiovascular system. I believe that his mechanical aptitude was so corrupt that the expense associated with him going faster was untenable. He could not find or access his fitness because the the corruption in the way he, he was moving got in the way. Yeah, the cost was too great. And you might recall, and I talked about this a lot because I was so proud of him, Matt Campione, you know, we, we met a year ago, yeah. and a year ago his VO2 score was about 64, and he was having issues with the way he was running, he was overstriding, heel striking, having a lot of hamstring issues. Corrected the mechanics, got him moving better. I could not make him, I could not break him on the treadmill. Were you there when we were doing that? No, but I, but I heard about it. I, I, could not, I, I, could not, I got to read it. I could not break the guy down on the treadmill. I could not make him make a mistake on the treadmill, meaning that I took him basically to the top end of the speed of the treadmill and almost topped out the incline, and he was running like a deer on point, perfect running mechanics. We did a VO2 test on him. His VO2 test, I think, pushed up to 74.5. He picked up 10 points on his VO2 score, which is basically unheard of. And so... By improving and harnessing his mechanics, he accessed fitness that probably were resident before, but is 
ineptitude in the way he was moving was not allowing him to access it. You feel me now? I feel you. What is that noise? Sorry, that is that is my watch letting me know that there is a storm coming. <laughs> Remember, we we live in Colorado, so my watch just felt okay. the need to let me know that so there, that there just, might be a storm. I just want to make sure that this point has been made. Because what I'm suggesting is that if you run poorly, you may not access your fitness potential. Yeah. And if you can't access your fitness potential, you're not going to be able to improve your cardiac output. Yeah. Well, you're not going to get optimal results from your cardiac output. You're not going to be able to improve as readily in your cardiac output as if you exhausted your potential to move through space most efficiently. And so this is kind of where I was coming back to the point that it isn't just a function of intensity or no intensity. It's a function of how well you bring yourself to either the low intensity or high intensity. It's the glue. It's what draws the two ends together. Yeah. The, the important thing to take away from this conversation is that lactate is an asset. It is not the enemy. If you train properly, you gain access to energy stores that typically you do not have access to. When you get into this acidic environment, you don't know how to contend with it. Your body doesn't know how to contend with it. And so the only solution left is to slow down or stop. So the limit to your performance is your inability to contend effectively with this exposure to ensuing lactate production. So it becomes an important criteria in performance. Aerobic conditioning is easy peasy. You can teach anybody to do it. All you got to do is tell them to slow down. So when people think in terms of, well, I'm going to go get tested because I need to find out what my aerobic zone is. Well, sure, that's important. But more important is to find out where this turn point is, where you're going to get the greatest return for your investment when you get over that threshold. Because you don't win races aerobically unless you're just the strongest guy in the room. You know, I mean, honestly, if, if you can win a race and stay aerobic when everybody else is dying around you, you know, that's just, that's awesome. But it just doesn't happen, right? No, not, not, not in our races. Well, unless you're picking on some people that have disabilities or something. I don't know. Well, well, but, but, you know, I mean, like also just kind of on the subject, like with what I just did this weekend, I mean, my whole goal was to stay aerobic. It was, it was a 24 hour CrossFit competition. And I just told myself, like, I need to be aerobic like 95% of the time. And I'm willing to bet that the comp, you know, the teams that we competed against didn't have you in in their corner you know didn't have the knowledge or didn't understand the importance of like you know 24 hours of work being put in you're going to have to stay as aerobic as possible in order to be able to get not just get through it but in order to be able to really like get the most out of it without having such a high cost i mean for me it was just basically one big aerobic training day you know yeah <laughs> so let let me throw something at you that's going to blow your mind okay yeah the other end of it is, first of all, skeletal muscle, aside from what we're talking about here, aside from, you know, your quad, your hamstring, your glutes, all the leg muscles you use as you run, aside from that, 
all the musculature, all the skeletal musculature on your body responds the same way. It's either that you're doing something in the presence of oxygen, contractions that are supported through slow twitch muscle fibers, or in in the absence of oxygen, anaerobic, fast twitch fibers, okay? And they all have the same potential to develop lactate, and they all have the same potential to be debilitated by a high production of lactate. So I'm setting you up, right? And those hydrogen ions. Grip strength. Mm-hmm. You could and you should effectively approach grip strength training, which is important for OCR, to develop a higher anaerobic potential in your grip strength in your forearms. Because what makes you let go in grip strength exercises is the acidic nature and the muscles basically shutting down and causing you to let go. Yeah, that burn in your forearms. I've never talked to anybody so far in this sport that even thought in terms of the metabolic consequence of grip strength. First time I've heard of it. But I want you to think about it because you could potentially develop a higher lactate tolerance in your forearms and in your grip strength that will cause you to hold on and be more effective in your obstacle course racing. All right, so I just want to make sure that I lock this down. Aerobic conditioning, no-brainer. Staying aerobic is a function of slowing it down. Staying below threshold. You know, your threshold is, it's a moving target. It, it, it'll shift, it'll swing relative to the way you treat it. Your, your anaerobic metabolism is key. It's important. It is really, really important if you plan to win races. And you can screw up some intervals. Trust me when I tell you. You can do things that are counterproductive, and they'll feel like you're getting it done because the workout beat your butt. You walked away from it feeling like, oh, my God, that was a great workout. Where, in fact, oh, my God, you probably lost two consecutive good work days because of the beatdown you just gave yourself that was no longer of any value to you. Got to get that rest in. <laughs> so the theme that's here, all That's all I'm thinking about now. The, I just the, I got to I gotta work rest into there more, more effectively now. All right, so the, the last order of business is the road show. I got to tell you, yeah. Miguel, I am getting I am getting calls from people from everywhere. I got a call, actually, literally a phone call from a fella in Ottawa, Canada, that wants us to come out there in the summer. Let's party. We've got some people that are getting some headway going in Cincinnati, Ohio. I've had some calls from Savannah, Georgia. You know, there's some really good food in Savannah. <laughs> really? Yo. Like oh, I, oh, dude, I'll, I'll take you to some. I, tra- I traveled through there. I'm going to take you to some restaurants. So what did you eat? I had, it was like some crazy southern fusion with like not things that I expected, like mango on a pizza. And it was ridiculous and really good beer. But anyways, let's continue with the road show. Sorry. No, no worries. But anyway, there's just been a lot of uh, a lot of calls. I've got somebody in Spokane, Washington that reached out. Did I say Kansas City? 
No, but Kansas City, I know, has been gunning for it for yeah. a while. Kansas City, Chicago, Ohio, New York. Of course, we're going to do Vermont. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of stuff going on out there, and hopefully in the new year. So people that are listening to this, if you forgive me for all the gobbledygook I threw out in this particular episode, uh, my intentions were, were, were good. I hope I didn't confuse you. But if, well, you, if you live somewhere that you think that you can help bring us to your town to do our road show, do the clinical testing, and do the running clinic, drop me a message on Facebook. Let me know who you are, where you are, and let's see if we can visit you. And furthermore, if the gobbledygook confused you, but it got you excited and it got you curious, send us questions because I know, I mean, now, now we're, we're going to have to have a little, little chatty chat after this, this little podcast is over. But, but I think that there's probably going to be a ton of questions about all this stuff afterwards. So let's, let's do it. Well, I mean, it's complex. It's complex and it's difficult if it doesn't, but it's exciting. Well, there's two things going on here. First of all, if you live in this world, you can you can spin it all day long. But you have consumers that don't live in this world and making it so that they can understand it without it getting too crazy is a whole nother problem. When I study this stuff and I do the research on this stuff, I get where they're going with it, I understand it. But it gets a little heady. You got to and if you're not living in this world, it's kind of tough sometimes. So uh, my my goal is to try to bring some information that's useful to the common folk that are out there getting it done and putting in the hard work, and they don't want to waste any time. I think it's important. That's why I brought it up. I know it's important. That's why I brought it up. And the more people can start wrapping their head around it, maybe, if nothing else, they'll do a little research on their own and find out that, wow, he was onto something. I'm glad I heard that because now I'm paying attention. This is going to be a very exciting year. Yep. It is. And listen, by the way, um, Merry Christmas to you and to your lovely uh, better half. And, Thank you. And your I dog. thought we were talking to I I thought we were talking to like the 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 world of podcasts. I was going to be like Happy New Year. And well, we're going to do that like, too. Oh, well, oh. well, thank you. Yes, the dogs, the dogs, and and my significant other are uh, are are uh, are thankful. And thank you. So, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you as well. I, I I read that your dog got on the table and ate a bunch of stuff. Oh, son of a gun. Dude, I wanted to punt him out the window. Yeah, man. He No, he didn't get on the table. He got he, uh, an 11-year-old dachshund who weighs 14 pounds, managed to get on top of a dresser that's five feet tall and ate 16 cookies. Mind you that half of them were double fudge. The other half were like pecan and or and, and like chocolate chip and and ginger snaps in there and stuff like that and yeah it was like defcon five here we were freaking out right now i'm staring at him and he's trying to be sneaky licking his paw underneath a blanket no lick but um uh so that didn't yeah, kill it it was scary no it didn't that... kill him we were dude we freaked out we were like we were taking him out to go to the bathroom like every hour on the hour it was insane and, i thought chocolate's like death for dogs it is death for dogs. So they actually use like a chocolate like calculator based on like weight to to how much chocolate they have. And so apparently they're like they with the the vet tech lady that we spoke to was like he's going to be fine. You just need to make sure to keep an eye on on his poos. And so he was, but but yeah, just lesson learned. Don't oh. uh, don't chocolate all all cookies must go under lock and key now. Which mind you, I only had two of those cookies. I'm down to one seventy three. You'll be really proud. I, I was 16 Dude. when I was 173. 
Did you have that mad stash going to <laughs> <yet>. 73? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Where he's just like, just 16 years old and just like, whoosh, hold on. Okay, so I'm looking at my calendar just to see if there's another show. And lo and behold, I, I think there's one more show before the year's out. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to say Merry Christmas to everyone. And we'll have another show. Hopefully it won't be as confusing as this one before the new year. Merry all Christmas, right. everyone. Happy Hanukkah to those that don't celebrate Christmas and all the rest of those celebrations for various cultures around the world. Hey, I don't care. If you're celebrating, I'm happy. Exactly. Celebrate, be happy, be merry, enjoy the family. We got one show left. Hopefully it won't be as confusing as this one was. Yeah. Hopefully you're excited and stoked as, as like I am right now and especially stoked for 2017. I'm looking forward to that road show, man. We're going to have a good time. Yes, we are. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.